0: Welcome to Burn News Current Affairs Podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com.
1: So I'm here with Shadow Finance Minister David Burt. Uh, it's been a little while since he gave his uh, reply to the budget. Nonetheless, um, there's an awful lot of interesting things to talk to him about, and he's here today to do that. Thank you for sparing some time, Mister Bird,
0: and thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to Burnews and their listeners. Very welcome.
1: Um, there's there's a great deal to talk about in this budget reply. There's some very interesting uh, things that you mentioned. I wanted to start first of all with um, the issue of diversification. Now you've long been a, in favour of diversification, mm-hmm. and you go into some detail. The thing about diversification, though, more than anything else, is is government's position to create the legislative and financial framework to allow diversification. What do you have in mind, uh, if and when you get into power, to create that framework?
0: Um, thank you. Um, I think that's a great question and I think the challenge that we have is that um, as I said in this budget reply and as I said in previous budget replies, a lot of things, what happens is that in Bermuda we get caught up in the argument and the debate between the two political parties and the actual issue at hand never gets a critical reflection that is required. Um, a perfect example of that can be um, way back in 2010 when there was a green paper on gaming. Um, that, that was defeated. Um, there were People in the PLP were opposed to it, but there was also unanimous opposition from the then uh, United Bermuda Party. And the same cabinet ministers then went ahead and passed gaming Three years later, I say all of that uh, to say that it's almost as though if when we talk about things that can grow our economy, they get stuck in so far as the political back and forth, in so far as who may get a victory, who won't get a victory, um, why, what are the motives behind doing it, as opposed to whether or not it will do the one thing that we should be looking to do in Bermuda, and that is create jobs. So I, I, so from that perspective, a, we go to the issue of economic diversification. What we've spoken about since we became opposition way far back as 2013 is the important need for the diversification of the Bermuda economy. This was spoken about by the Bermuda first report, which was commissioned in 2009 and 2010, mm-hmm. speaking about the needs for diversification. Uh, there was some groundwork that was laid under the PLP's term where we were looking at um, uh, additional partners, whether they be in the Middle East and otherwise, to looking at um, an infrastructure strategy, and looking at places and plans for diversification. Fast forward to where we are now, and I can just give two examples, which I've given um, on many occasions before, whether it's the issue of online gaming, which we know in many overseas territories provides incredible jobs and income, where we talk about the issue of the blue economy and all the things there, where there are persons who are a lot smarter than I am saying that there's opportunity there. What we happen is, instead of there being any... Everyone looking at the merits of the issue as to whether or not it can actually benefit the renewed economy our, our, our debate on those issues are limited to um battling op-eds in local news media and maybe uh, conversations are most adjourned or during the budget debate. But apart from that, there is no discussion or attention paid to those issues of diversification. I mean, it, so what we've said is that what, in order to realizing the shortcomings of our inherent adversarial political nature here in Bermuda and our willingness to argue about points as opposed to examine them and put in place what can actually assist Bermudians in creating jobs, after speaking to the private sector after even liaising with people who were on the business development agency they said that we should look to create an economic diversification unit mm-hmm. and that unit would be specifically for examining areas for economic diversification coming up with the plans and then if it is feasible putting that putting whatever is necessary into place to make that happen so that's the view that we're taking towards economic diversification take it out of the hands of the politicians put it where it can receive independent analysis where it can actually be judged as to whether or not it is something that can benefit Bermuda or not, and then we, as a country, can make the decision to move forward.
1: Okay, so that would be your financial and legislative framework you're talking about Absolutely. to set up the unit. I mean, there's a lot more to be done after that mm-hmm. in terms of creating uh, the opportunities for, for a small business or mm-hmm. a diversified business to survive. Mm-hmm. The diversification unit, on, mm-hmm. the, on the face of it, sounds mm-hmm. like a good idea, mm-hmm. but clearly that's no quick fix. No, that's no. a very long-term Sorry. strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. There is no quick fix when it comes to diversification, and that's the challenge. But when you look at how long we've been putting it off, the longer we put it off, the more time it's going to take in order uh, to, to become a reality. I mean, in the short term, the only way that quick jobs can be created inside the economy is either through um, borrowing for infrastructure projects or from incredible... Uh, an, incre- an increased amount of increased investment into the tourism product because that's the only well, way... Not we diversification. Can- well, I understand, but I'm saying in the short term, insofar yeah. as jobs, when we're talking about short-term fixes, anything that's dealing with economic diversification cannot be a short-term fix. It has to be long-term. But that's why, and as so you can look on the cover of the budget reply, it says Vision 2025. That, yeah. We have to have a long-term plan for economic growth and economic diversification, or else we're going to be stuck. And that's, the ch- that's, that's a lot of the challenge what? that we have here.
1: Why hasn't diversification happened over the last 20 years?
0: Um, Because we diversification never became an issue until 2008. The fact is that the the fact is that we had we were talking about ways to get people out of Bermuda, (laughs) not to bring people into Bermuda. We had a huge number of jobs we had jobs that that were putting pressure on our infrastructure at that time people can remember the traffic, people can remember the housing people can remember all those challenges at that time so from that perspective the reason why it was not an issue is that it never became something urgent. But when it became the point that it was realized that after 2008, our over reliance on international business, when Bermuda first came together, they produced that report. And from 2010 until 2016, and that's not the fault purely of the One Bermuda Alliance government, but the One Bermuda Alliance government has dropped the ball. The PLP was doing work on economic diversification. The PLP was doing work on looking at new markets. What and were reaching you looking out, at? And, well, reaching out to the Middle East, that was a big place. We know well, that a lot of
1: financial investments ex- there exactly, wasn't. It. That's yes, more
0: diversification? Well, it's, diver- it was, it was- it's, it's diversification if what you get from there is investments that can lead to other sectors of your economy. Whether or not that's whether or not that's additional investments inside of your tourism product. Whether or not that's additional investments inside of new industries that you're looking to start up. Whether or not that's the required investment that we look at when it comes to so, sorry, an offshore fisheries industry. Like that's something that we always. Well, the talk offshore fisheries
1: about. industry that was more or less kiboshed by the minister, wasn't it? it was recently, who said the change in temperature was too severe for the fish to survive. Well, in the, farm fishing. Well,
0: well, well, that's farm fishing, but that's not. But that's not offshore. What I'm saying is, all these plans that we speak about, and one of the arguments that are given to them is oh, we will need investment. Oh, we don't have the money. Where is the money going to come from? And a part of it is also seeking the partners who can make that available. When we talk about, when you say the investment environment, when you talk about what's necessary, if we look at the offshore mining uh, uh, sector in uh, the South Pacific, like whether it's New Zealand or all the rest, they have found partners and they've set yeah. up things to explore. Are you that's, suggesting that's an issue here? No, that's the type of stuff that we have to do. I mean we, the offshore uh, no, mining. No, but we have to explore. It. I mean, there are people who are smarter than me. I, I'm not I'm not an I'm not a marine biologist. I'm not someone who studies the ocean. But when there's people who study the oceans that say that it is a real possibility for Bermuda that we have to examine, who am I to say no? Who is any politician to say no? We should let the experts look at it and then determine whether or not it's something that can work and benefit us.
1: be a very brave politician who says yes to that, I think. But that's, that's, mm-hmm. uh, like, that's getting off the beaten track a little bit. So you, the PLP has sat down and looked mm-hmm. at possible areas of our diversification. So what do you think, that a shadow finance minister would work in Bermuda?
0: Well, been, let me be very clear. The Progressive Labour Party has not sat and looked at specific issues of diversification. We've mentioned ideas which should have been brought to us. Where but you are you looking
1: it. in the Middle East, for
0: No, instance. No, no that, that was for investment. That was to be very clear to right, talk investment about investment. In- yes, and, but when we talk about the immediate things that came out of the to first report, the immediate things that came out of the to first report was specifically when it talks about the, the blue economy, which are there are opportunities there. We have to use the resources. We have to make better use for our exclusive economic zone. If we have sh- if we have ships here <laughs> that are coming here that are that are utilizing our economic zone and taking fish out of our economic zone and selling them somewhere else, why should we not be benefiting from that revenue? Everything is incremental. We're not going to build huge additional pillars, but we are going to build minor things. Other things that were discussed, as we've seen inside of our report, whether it be the technology incubator, whether it be um, light and small manufacturing taking advantage of near shoring um, at Southside, these are all items which have been mentioned. The question is, is there enough impetus into putting it forward in order to create the jobs that we need? The main challenge that we have in Bermuda, as I spoke about here, when it comes to economic policy, it's really a question of jobs in Bermuda, and how are we going to get these jobs here? Creation. Exactly. And so, and so a lot of people, when they talk about they diversification, a lot of people are like, well, you're not going to find an industry that creates 3,000 jobs. That's probably not the need. No. But if we found 10 industries that create 100 to 200 jobs, that is a huge boost to what we have now. And we can continue to build on the other aspects in order to fill up the jobs so that we require. Our,
1: in your opinion, mm-hmm. how realistic is it that Bermuda can find three or four different industries to create 200 jobs?
0: Um, I think. I know
1: that, you haven't had the unit set up yet. You want to do, but your it,
0: opinion. Here's the thing: I, whether or not, whether or not, how realistic it is, it has to happen because if it's not, we are going to make well, It can't
1: happen if it's not realistic. I, how realistic is it?
0: I, well, it <laughs> the fa- here's what I'll put: I, I will say this. In countries that set their mind to accomplishing goals and tasks, if that is a national objective, I have the faith that we can do it. I have the faith that we can do what is required in order to bring those industries here, take advantage of the trends in globalization, take advantage of the reason why we have a financial services sector here, because of our efficient tax model. There are things that that people that I would dare say are smarter than I have said have worked. The question is, why haven't why haven't we done them? So it we comes back to, to,
1: to the framework you're going to set up. Because mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, in your budget reply the cost of living. Now, the cost mm-hmm. of living isn't just about the cost of goods. Mm-hmm. It's the cost of employing somebody. The cost
0: of doing business, cost of healthcare, which is a killer cost, which we've spoken about previously mm-hmm. about the, mod- so the modernization about, of our healthcare system. It comes
1: back to the question, if you could look into the crystal ball,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, what kind of framework would you like to set up that would allow these businesses to, to start and then thrive? Because mm-hmm. that's the issue. Mm-hmm. Not every startup, by any means, is going to develop mm-hmm. into a Microsoft or an Apple.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, th- that's true. But there are also lots of mid-level companies that can actually sustain, especially when we're talking about globalization, the move here. We see with Solvency, too, that there will be more companies that mm-hmm. will then re-domesticate here, which can create additional employment. As I said, there are things that we can do. It's minor stuff. It's small tinkering. Well, but incrementally. Things? What
1: are the things you can do?
0: We address the healthcare issue insofar as the cost of healthcare. Because we were talking about the cost of employment, we address um, what is necessary to set up shop here in Bermuda, making it more efficient and easy for companies there. Where we're talking about whether it's the space, the allocation of space at Southside Bermuda Landefelt Corporation. We talk about setting up a technology incubator there. when We talk about setting up light manufacturing there. It's a question of is it a high enough priority? My view is that I believe that it's a higher priority to put the the, I guess, focus on diversification as, as opposed to the intense focus that has been put to the airport or other matters. <laughs> and that's the thing. When we're talking about these long-term plans, we can talk here in the abstract as much as possible. But the thing is that until we actually are serious, until we're actually um, examining the things, until we're actually talking to companies, until we're actually getting them to move here, until we're actually getting to a level where we're having serious discussion, you look at Ireland. Ireland gets companies to move there all the time. So why well, can't it's we? Got a very nice tax regime. <laughs> I understand. But why can't we? not as big. Mm-hmm, I understand. Cost of living, probably right. cost of
1: doing business, it probably Cost as of big.
0: doing business in Bermuda is certainly expensive. But when we look at the cost of doing business in places which we're compared to, Hong Kong, New York, London, Singapore, they're all very expensive jurisdictions as well. The thing is that we can we, we can ameliorate those costs by making sure that the cost to employ people are less and one of the main things that go into the cost of employing people are care, which is a big issue that we have to tackle, which is something that and has the not been tackled. Is. Um I will, I will say this. I will say that I am encouraged by the government's moves and to look to make the payroll tax system more progressive. It mm. was something they put inside their budget. It's something that we applaud in our budget reply. And we will look to see how that factors in. I, as we have said from our 2014 budget reply, 2015 budget reply, 2016 budget reply, is that a, the payroll tax system that we currently have is a job killer. We're taxing the thing that we need more. Payroll taxes do not determine on anything. It just determines if you hire someone more. So it is. it adds to the cost of employment. Mm-hmm. And then that's aspect, that can be changed. But the challenge that we have in the Bermuda economy, and this is when it comes to immigration policy, this is when it comes to tax policy, this is when it comes to other things, we apply this one-size-fits-all model. And the one-size-fits-all model doesn't actually work. There are different needs for small business, as there are for international business. The businesses here, um, where we are here at Alaska Hall, are different than the needs down on Pitts Bay Road. Absolutely. And and from that challenge, especially when it comes to immigration, is not something that we've ever come to grips with.
1: I agree. I mean, the problem with the progressive tax, of course, is Mm -hmm. the taxes are rich more. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as we know here... Mm -hmm. Both people tend to be the CEOs of international Mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And and I put it to the finance minister. We thought that was a bit of a gamble. Mm -hmm. He said, no, do you think it's a bit of a gamble? If you've got a progressive tax, you might
0: actually put off the the job creators. Here's the thing. They will pay higher tax in other places. And the fact of the matter is that we have to make sure that we balance our books. If we don't have a balanced budget, as I've stated very clearly, if we do not deal with the debt challenge that we have and getting our structural deficit under control, our debt ratings will go to a place where we won't have CEOs here. But
1: do you think you'll put them off?
0: Um, No, I don't think it'll put them off. I don't, because the thing is that they are here for a reason. It makes economic sense for them. And as a country, we can all work together as stakeholders to come up with a plan that is acceptable to all. The minister has said that he's consulted with them. Um, And so I must assume that at a certain level, they are comfortable with what is coming.
1: We'll see, I hope Mm -hmm. you're right. Um,
0: We all hope that (laughs) we're right. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
1: The cost of living, you say we will deal with the extremely high cost of living that is affecting Bermudians and making their life difficult.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, How? Number one is cost of food, Uh, cost of cost of food, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, uh, are you talking about price controls? Or are you no, talking, not no? price
0: controls. The fact of the matter is that competition heals, competition heals markets. One of the things we speak about in our long-term economic plan is looking at alternative trade partners. And we're getting all our foods, when we're getting all of our trade from whether it's um, New York or Florida, mm-hmm. there could be, uh, there's there's incredible investment coming from the near and far east inside of uh, ports, inside of the Caribbean. We know that uh, Jamaica, Bahamas are looking at expanding their port infrastructure. We know that there will be goods that are going to be coming over from Africa and as more as they are able to increase their capacity, there could be space for lower priced goods that are coming to the market which can assist with the cost of living in that aspect. It's all those type of things that are in concert. We look at energy. We've spoken, we've been very big when it comes to green energy. Right now we have the opportunity um we can lower oil prices, you know, to actually bite that bullet. To make sure that we don't live off of this, it creates additional space. But we have to make sure that we make the investments which are required so that when inevitably oil prices rise again, we're in a position that is less of a shock on our economy. So who makes the investments? To, who make the investments? Yeah. Whether the investments in green energy? Has to be the government. Has to be. That's an enormous capital cost. It, but here's the thing. Capital costs that can demonstrate an appreciable return are not a bad thing. It's, it's they what should it's, be. it is. Yeah, no, I, so what, I agree. And, and so that's fine. So we, we, can, we cannot be afraid of investment. For, for instance.
1: You're, what, you're in a cash 22. You want to invest uh, 10, 20 million in mm-hmm. putting solar panels on top of all government buildings. Absolutely. You haven't got 20 million to spend.
0: Well, I, I would disagree. You, you'd
1: want to spend 20 million because oh, you'd get your money back after 10 and, years. And, and, but and have you got the upfront cost? But, when but, you say. Sorry, you're saying here, I've got to finish. you say saying that if you full cut costs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Government costs. Yes, government costs, current expenses, absolutely. But now let's look at this overall, Jeremy. Yeah. Let's let's take it this way. If you're talking about the incredible investment that is needed to put solar panels or other renewable energy technologies on government buildings, when we're looking at our annual energy spend of $20 million, Mm -hmm. an annual energy spend of $20 million, if an upfront investment of $10 million can save you $5 million every year, that pays for itself in four or five years. The fact of the matter is if you borrow the money at 5%, but if your return is 25%, that's good business. Business does that all the time. Governments can engage in the same quid pro quo. You can't say that you're going to be afraid of that if the, what you, the change that you're actually going to do is going to reduce your debt. And it's one of the things that, the, um, that was spoken about in, not only was it spoken about in the minister's fiscal responsibility panel, but it was also spoken about in the pre-budget report in 2012, when we spoke about when we go with across-the-board spending cuts, it often reduces productive investment. When you, when governments must make sure that their investments are investing in things that r- pr- provide a return. Such as, there are places that we can reduce spending of money, but there's also places where we can increase spending of money. And that's what the fiscal responsibility panel spoke about when we speak about tourism. It's something that if we increase the investment that goes into the tourism market, we could get more guests here. That is an investment that that's we there, want yeah. to make. Exactly. And, so, and so from the perspective of where we're looking at it, it's a question of not the overall money that is spent, it's where you spend the money. Look where the government's had to spend money now. I mean, we spent millions of dollars on legal fees. <laughs> like, millions and millions and millions on legal fees, <laughs> The, fact, of dollars of uh, uh, but the thing is, but it's about priorities of investment. Where <laughs> so are you I going to spend deal? the money?
1: Because it's not a priority for the one Bermuda Langs. It was never, was it a priority for you
0: guys? Um, I would say that we did great strides in energy. I mean, that we gave a huge amount of rebates. We actually paid for people to put solar panels on their house. We if we, we, yeah, exactly. yeah. we did a subsidy, exactly. We did solar PV. We were the ones who brought forward the energy green paper, the energy white paper. We went through those items. And the fact of the matter, it's about carrying on the baton. The thing is that you, you we did work during our time. Our time ended in 2012. Mm-hmm. In, in the 36 or 37 months which have happened since, sorry, probably 38 or 39 now, the question is what has the government done to move forward on the green energy space? The subsidies are no longer there. There's minimal investments. There's not the type of things in which we need. And so from our perspective, I, I believe that we can be doing more. I believe the government can lead and if, and if if it's an effort to reduce long-term costs by making smart investments now, by employing people and getting people skills inside of the green economy, I think that's a win-win for everyone.
1: Do you think um, one, of the, one of the things you do hear about a lot, mm-hmm. and please don't shoot the messenger on this, is you hear about people talking about the PLP's mismanagement of the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think people are going to have confidence in, in the PLP to actually go ahead and, and uh, do big capital investments mm-hmm. uh, and hit, hit their budget?
0: Well, here's what I'll say. I'll say that... Um, Without question, the people should have confidence, and the reason why is because the one difference that we can promise with the PLP administration, the next one that comes in, as opposed to the One Bermuda Alliance administration currently, is that we will follow the law. Um, Lessons have been learned over our time in office and our time in opposition, and I think that nothing more critical can be seen from the Good Governance Act, which was passed in 2011 and 2012, which has been routinely ignored by the One Bermuda Alliance government they do not if they pretend that the document itself does not exist um, and they've done everything they can to not implement it. They have not tabled financial instructions. It's been 40 months. They haven't tabled the Code of Practice for Office of Project Management and procurement, and it's been 40 months. Those things have not been done. What we will do in the Progressive Labor Party is that we will follow the law. The law has been updated, and the laws that have been put in place to ensure that we have a department of professional project managers who understand how to manage projects, who understand how to keep them on time, who understand how to keep them on budget, and that's why they can have the confidence.
1: Okay we are here to talk about the uh, mm-hmm. budget reply
0: not again to the politics of the uh, but, uh, but 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 that's a, but that's a very simple thing because we because in when we talk about Confidence and going forward and confidence in order to meet that then yes That but that's where it is if the people are to have confidence The confidence is that we will follow the law laws have been put in place to ensure that happens Departments have been created to ensure that the checks and balances are there in place This government is not following the law in those aspects We will and that can ensure that it happens. How are we hearing of a roundabout that's being done? that didn't have a budget
1: Let's move on to the debt you call it a harsh reality. Yes Um, and you say that you want to move to a balanced budget while reducing uh, and then freezing government spending Mm -hmm. how are you going to do that
0: How are you going to do that? Yeah, reducing um, and freezing government spending. In our 2014 budget reply, it was laid out that we would reduce spending, I want to say it was, we would reduce spending to 2014, 2015 levels. I can't remember the figure off the top of my head. I think it was about $950,000 on the current account going forward our capital expenditure was slightly higher due to the For increase... $950,000? Sorry, 9 yeah. 50 million. <laughs> $950 million. $950 on the, um, the current account. Um, our capital spending plans were higher in the earlier years and, and were uh, further reduced, but we produced a full spending uh, budget in our 2014 budget reply, um, and, and that was our plan. Our plan is to... What we have to do is we have to understand that when it comes to current account expenses, there's very little that can be cut from current account, and any of the cuts right now are literally cuts that will impact productive investments, and we've seen that whether it's slashing tourism spending or otherwise. So we have to freeze current account spending, and we have to grow the economy to create jobs that will raise the top but line. How will you
1: reduce and then freeze government spending? How will you reduce it?
0: Um, it was spelled out inside of our 2014 budget reply, but that would could be you, could you just give me. No, idea what I said, well, just just to be clear, there, there, there are there are certain places where government spending um, is 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 higher than it needs to be. Um, and if you look at the various line items, you have to take all those things. You have to go into the various departments, which is one of the things they talked about with the Fisher Reviews, figure out what government does well, what government should not be doing, and making sure, and from that aspect, you can be the department can be more efficient, which will reduce your overall spending. But when it comes to freezing going forward, here's where it's key. Civil servants are going to demand raises, right? Raises are going to come. So when you're freezing your spending, understanding that if you're, if you're... If the debt is still increasing, if the deficit is still not reducing at a higher level, you're going to have increased spending on interest. So you're going to have to become more efficient inside of the government departments in order to make that. And that's why the spending freeze is important. So from, from, from the perspective of the freezing of spending, the reason why you freeze the spending is it also enforces additional discipline. To say that you're going to continue to reduce spending is not realistic. That, that that's the challenge, and the government has seen that. The government has tried to do that. spending. Pardon me. You said that while no, reducing no, freezing government to spending continue. But yeah. Jeremy, again, and as he said, I said he
1: won't reverse the government cuts.
0: When when I when you go back to our 2014 spending plans, our 2014 spending plans took us from 990 million dollars in spending down to 950 dollars, 950 million, 940 approximately, and then they were frozen at that level for f- until we came back to to budget balance that that was the overall macro plan and in order to do that you have to have efficiency from government departments it's necessary efficiency yes, yes. i understand efficiency mm-hmm. yes. you're
1: talking about reducing spending but
0: uh, efficiency leads oh. to reduced spending jeremy that's that's what happens <laughs> whether it's the departments whether departments do things more efficient it does lead to reduce spending
1: well you say reducing and then freezing yes. So that kind of suggests cuts mm-hmm. Uh, the finance minister uh, uh, set himself a 15% target to mm-hmm. reduce government spending he got just under half there that. and he's now, when i up. when i when i interviewed him about mm-hmm. that for for another bernie's podcast mm-hmm. he said well yes that would mean redundancies it would have to be redundancies. Mm-hmm. So are you ruling out redundancies?
0: Um, absolutely. You have to rule out redundancies. You cannot commit to redundancies in a place where you do not have employment. The fact is that if people do not have an altered place to be employed, it doesn't make any sense c- giving redundancies. But so, simply,
1: as you try and grow the economy, you will try and reduce the size of the civil service?
0: Um, it's not a question of reducing the size of the civil service, Jeremy. It's, it's, a, question, more efficient. Yes, it's a question of the efficiency. So it's tell me what's about necessary. these crown corporations. Pardon me? Tell me about these crown corporations. Crown corporations is, um, crown corporations, as we have them, I mean, people call them quangos, people call them whatever they are, but basically, it's a way to, ins- to inject private sector um, management styles and, and systems into the public sector. The fact is that what we are looking at is that in a lot of places that government departments are not empowered to make their own decisions. They go through a very bureaucratic channel, mm-hmm. for instance. And the example of which I always give to everyone is that if you are, um, if you are a government manager, and some uh, some young person just came into school, just joined your apartment, came up with this wonderful idea that says that we're going that if we do this, we'll be able to increase our revenue and be able to reduce our expenses. It's wonderful. That's fine in the private sector. That's something that's taken up almost immediately in the public sector. It's weighed in a different way. It's weighed in a different way insofar as I'm not going to get paid anymore for this. This might require additional stuff, different things we regret, and then it never sees the light of day. Mm-hmm. That's the frustration inside. When you have a system of a crown corporation, which is not, which is still owned by the government, Canadian commercial corporation, a perfect example, but it can operate in a, a space of more freedom where it's empowered by a board which has oversight, and that board, which has oversight, can be more nimble and flexible in making decisions about increasing uh, increasing revenue and also reducing. Is that a private
1: sector board? Is it, you started by saying
0: it's hundred percent it, it, owned by the government. The crown corporation is 100 owned. So what the, the government private
1: government. side you mentioned?
0: Can the private se- the private side comes into the private sector management style, so it's a different management right, structure okay. than you would have inside of the civil service. That's However, it's massive, still government owned.
1: That's going to take a massive change in mindset. It, well, if we, you're asking the civil service to take on management, but ask them to do it in a private way, hold, hold private a sector.
0: But air. not everything is not everything can go to a crown corporation. To be clear, it's clear and distinct things. We're looking right now to see the government that is moving um, the Department of uh, you Shipping say. Registry, no, yeah. Shipping so, yeah. Shipping yeah. Registry, and the Aircraft Registry into a crown corporation. We've seen crown corporations at BLDC, which is technically a crown corporation. What I'm saying is that we can have more of those items and more different, and, and examine what can happen. When we have this long talk about privatization, we have this long talk about mutualization, we talk about all those various options which are on the table insofar as efficiency. The progressive labor party has been very clear that privatization is not something that we're looking to. When the minister broached mutualization, the unions and us at the same point in time did not rule it out. But mutualization is key, where mutualization is not owned by private sector. It's owned by the employees and the government. And we can look at things that can get us to that point. The key point is, Jeremy, and I have to stress this, is that Something must be done to increase efficiency. And if increasing efficiency can come through making management of various discrete government departments more nimble and be able them to increase their revenue and also to reduce their expenses or to become more efficient, then that is something that can work. We can set out the, we can set out the, the parameters, we can set out the base level, and one of them has to, of course, be that we cannot put redundancies in a place where there are no jobs.
1: So what happens if they don't make a profit? Because you said if the crown corporation is not making a profit, the mm-hmm. profit will we go back that. to government.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, is there an incentive? Would you incentivize profit making? Because otherwise, what's, what's the incentive to but but, but, you that,
0: but, but, but there, If you're still essentially employed and, by the government, and, 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 there, and therein lies the crux of it. Yes, you have to. You have to have management contracts in place for senior management that incentivizes them in financial ways in order to make sure they produce better. That that argument, which I said about the the employee, uh, the manager who's in the civil service and the employee, hmm. that manager gets paid no more if they increase the revenue or decrease the expenses of the thing. it's it's equal and whereas there is a different motive and I love to discuss economics, but economics at the basis is a behavioral science. It is the science of human behavior, and human and humans are motivated in different ways. A large part of motivation uh, motivation is compensation. If you are sitting in a place where you an idea is brought to you, and you're like, "Well, I don't get paid anything more if I do this, so what's the point?" Or you're in a in a place where, "Oh, well, this can benefit." Not only the department can benefit the country, and it will personally benefit me. Someone may be motivated to do more, and and that's and that's the basis of behavioral economics. I understand that's that. that's I the basis that. of the argument. It's where change people, management. Exactly, what but of that's the basis of the argument of where people come with privatization. The challenge with privatization is that on a privatization basis, you are basically transferring public assets into private hands, and that at the end, although although the the efficiencies which may result from such a process may be beneficial overall to the overall economy. The challenge of the transferring of the public assets to the private hands is not something that, from a public policy perspective, is something that the Progressive Leader Party will support.
1: It would be a very interesting challenge because change management, as I well know and you well know, is one of the most difficult things to achieve. And mm-hmm. like I mentioned before about the mindset. That is going to be quite something to overcome. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be a short term. It's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of pain.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But but the thing is, Jeremy, that it has to be done. It has to be done. We cannot continue in a in a position where, for instance, whether it be the post office, whether it be public transport, whether it be different things, where they continue to run at a loss. There are some certain public services that always will continue to run at a loss. But when we look at the post office... Well, the necessary public yeah, exactly. the Yes, but, you know, the, the hospital, for example, which receives huge subsidies. You're not all of a sudden going to say, okay, there's no health care. But when you take a when you take an example and you look at a post office, you look at post offices in Germany, you look at post offices in Japan. What are the things that they have? One of the main things which they have is a huge banking yes. component to their post Office and the fact of the matter is that I'm I'm saying that's the type of stuff that we can have here that can make that can actually serve to instead of having it being a loss making entity to have it being a revenue generating entity to a
1: certain extent, but you're mm -hmm. limited by the size of the population.
0: You, You absolutely are, but the population limits are going to exist anyways. The challenge is, what are you going to do? The two options the, the, basically there are three policy options, Jeremy. one is continue to subsidize, two is privatize or three figure out another way that which works best and we 're trying to go for the third we 're trying to go to the third option. There cannot just be the keep it the way it is or privatize and get rid of it. There has to be a third option, and that 's what we 're putting forward.
1: Some would say that Crown Corporation is the first step to privatization.
0: Uh, some can say that, but that's the challenge of the government. If the government policy is not to do that, if the government policy is to maintain the ownership and to maintain it, then that's what the government policy is. And you can write those things into the covenants, you can write those things to charter, you write those things to the base legislation. It can be part of the mindset and the setup. The
1: thing is, governments generally don't have a great track record in running uh, organizations
0: for a profit. Uh, absolutely. And, but that's why it's not a government department. <laughs> it's a quango. And the fact... No, but th- 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 just it's, quasi-autonomous, it's, non-governmental organization. Absolutely, quasi-autonomous. Un- understood. But the thing is that there are very successful examples of quangos which work. Yeah, quangos exactly. so very great. Well. But the, the fact of the matter is that we can replicate. But there are others that don't. I understand, but 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 the reasons that they do not work may not be for the setup of a quango. It could be due to the management. It could be, and when you in in a, in a private, and when you have a if you have a private sector company, right. That is accountable to shareholders, and the management is not delivering the return to the shareholders. What happens to that that management in the private sector?
1: So, would the board answer to the minister?
0: Would the, board, the board, would be appointed by the minister. Absolutely, so answer
1: to the minister. Yes. So, there still be ministerial interference?
0: Um, no, the board. But all Quangos boards are appointed by ministers. Yeah. And but here's the thing. However, the boards are set up can be defined in legislation. There could be not only appointments, if we're talking about major things, there could be appointments from the opposition on these boards as well. These are things, as I said, these are things that can all be examined. It's a question of fashioning something that works for the unique Bermuda context that can, that can look to make it more efficient and can look to ease some of these budget troubles in which we have. The way the minister went about his attempted, his aborted public, public sector reform is not something that could earn the buy in of everyone else. If we understand the public sector has to be reformed, if we understand that changes have to be made, we have to get to a place where there is buy in around how can we move forward in our unique Bermudian context is something that works for everyone.
1: That's probably going to be the big, biggest challenge, at least mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, you say you implement some of the SAGE commissions. You're mm-hmm. talking about reforming the civil service.
0: Mm-hmm. What, what, what would those be? Um, I do not remember the specific ones, but what I can say is that there were lots of um, suggestions in the SAGE report for consolidation of government departments. We support those. Um, there were um, reports in the SAGE commission about reducing the size of MPs and all the rest. We think that it's something that should certainly be considered. Um, we talk, there are SAGE commission reports talking about reducing the size of cabinet. I think that's certainly something that should also be considered. There were um, things that said inside the SAGE report about increasing the oversight of um, the government via um, House parliamentary committees. We think that's something that is desperately needed. The fact is that we can increase the standard of governance in our country is if we make sure that we have the proper oversight from uh, the parliament that is necessary. When, when, when SAGE suggested that, I think it was quite surprising that the minister said, no, we don't want that. I, from my experience... In my short time in the House of Assembly, the only place that any oversight has occurred at all is via the Public Accounts Committee, and we've actually been able to produce minor results but results from that and the thing is that if that same level of scrutiny could be applied to other government departments with oversight then we could see our government functioning better and more efficient and I think that's what's necessary. SAGE made those recommendations and there are recommendations we should follow through with. If we know that we have to make the civil service more efficient, it's not a question of privatization, it's not a question of what's the call, but if there's consolidation government departments if there are things which are being duplicated then yes we should go ahead and consolidate those various government departments together.
1: The um, one thing you touched on here which really uh, got my interest was mm-hmm. pensions mm-hmm. and how you want to set up a sovereign fund mm-hmm. using a small portion of government pension funds. Mm-hmm. Um, the government pension fund is already severely underfunded and we mm-hmm. Institute of about a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. How can you justify taking money out of that pot
0: when mm-hmm. it's already underfunded? You're not taking money out of the pot. You're investing money in a different fund. Right now, those, th- that money is invested in funds invest more
1: Sovereign funds. Hold on a second, Jeremy,
0: to be clear. That money right now, which is in our pension funds, which yeah. is probably about two billion dollars worth of assets, is invested in some things locally yeah. and mainly overseas. Yeah. The money is invested already. Yeah. it's a question of you're changing where the money okay. is going to and invest invested. but I the money still being I mean, yes, it's okay. still being invested. My, my, so it's not
1: my, my bad phrasing. Okay, but it's but not you know, taking you know, money out. You're diverting the investments mm-hmm. to something else, yes. primarily into startups.
0: No, it's just be very clear, and I don't think I, I, I think that it's very bad to say startups. That is not correct. What we are saying is, if you take a look at, for instance, Singapore, their sovereign wealth fund was started way back in the 60s or 70s to Massac. If you take a look at the various places where they have those type of funds, it can come – sovereign wealth is, is used as a title, but, you know, certain people say, well, it can't be a sovereign wealth fund because we don't have any resources to generate into them. It doesn't necessarily matter. What it is is the overall structure of it, and it is a fund that is set up by the government to accomplish specific objectives. And so from that perspective, when we're talking about it, it's not necessarily – It could be a mature company that can employ 200 people that may be looking for additional investment that would help it to move to Bermuda. A stable company that you know has generating dividends, generating returns, has a stable balance sheet that can assist. It's those type of investments that the professionals can look like. And if if you can divert what you're using right now into creating jobs in the United States, because we're investing in capital markets in the United States right now. If you can invest in capital markets here in Bermuda to bring jobs, That is the type of stuff that the fund can do. The money is still secure. The money is still earning the same return that that it's earning. It's just a different question of the investment profile. So right now... The capital. So pension okay. funds
1: tend to go into very safe uh, investments? Absolutely,
0: for the most part. And there's no question. And I do not believe that we want to change the pension funds to start investing from safe things to things that are a lot more risky. But as with everything in diversification, we're talking about a portion. Not 100% of our pension funds right now, Jeremy, are not invested in fixed income securities. There are some of our pension funds which are invested in equity-based assets. So there's the question of if we're investing in equity-based assets in the United States, why can't we invest in equity equity-based assets here in Bermuda. I think that we can, and that's why I said it should be professional investment managers, it should be free from interference of the government, but the professional investment managers should be able to make the decision as to whether or not we can have some type of benefit for the local economy in using these funds. And if we have $2 of the funds, maybe we're talking about 5%. We're not talking about taking the whole fund and saying, okay, I, we're I that. And, uh, But I think it's very I key. But I don't, but, exactly. But I don't want it to. I don't want the message to go out, to say, startups. Because startups are a risky investment. And that's not what it is. It's about investing in companies and businesses that can bring jobs to Bermuda. And I think that should be the key.
1: How, you, you have to explain this to me, and, I, okay. and probably for the listeners as well. So you reach out to a large company in America mm-hmm. and say, we'll invest in you if you bring jobs here. Mm-hmm. So your return is going Mm -hmm. to be on the investment here Mm -hmm. or on the whole company? Uh, profits.
0: And the in return to the fund would be yeah. the return that would happen whether whatever investment it was. So whether it was um, a whether or not you did some type of uh, debt thing, whether or not you did um, something that was equity based investment that is held inside the funds that the fund can keep um, for a certain thing. You make arrangements that you hold on to certain things. I mean, uh, for a certain period of time, there are lots of different ways. But the investment from the Bermuda fund would be either an equity or some other instrument that that company creates. In Bermuda? In yes. Bri- in bricks and mortar? Absolutely. It has to be bricks and mortar. It has to be tied to having a demonstrable benefit. I mean, right now, we invest in equities in the United States, but they're not bringing jobs here to Bermuda, and that's what, why I'm saying What will stop them leaving after five years? Um, <laughs> there's nothing that can stop them leaving. I mean, companies can pick up and leave whenever they want. The
1: investment goes. But,
0: but, the, but the fact of the matter is that you want to structure it, and that's why I said it. I'm not an investment professional, so I don't want in any way, shape, or form to say that I'm an investment professional. But when we're talking about the Bermuda Fund and the ideas, like the Bermuda fund after speaking with the professionals that are in the investment field here in Bermuda, they tell me that this type of stuff can be done with government support and it can be structured in a way that we can get mid sized companies, small companies that can actually bring jobs and investment here to Bermuda.
1: What kind of companies would you look at?
0: Software companies is an excellent place to go. Healthcare companies. But things that can have a mobile workforce, things that don't require, you know, we're not talking about manufacturing. Manufacturing certainly isn't going to work because of the cost of electricity and other things. But we if might You
1: might get light manufacturing. Yeah, but but, but that, I yeah. mean,
0: but, but there's the light manufacturing, there's healthcare, and then there's, you know, software and IT. But the future is in really, the future of the world is moving towards IT. Okay. And if and if we can't establish a toehold inside of that market, then we're going to have struggle going forward. And so that's why you see us talking about the technology incubator. That's why you see us talking about maybe making sure that more of our students prepared to enter into those fields in IT and using those skills, doing things with the Bermuda College that just the government, that's something else when it comes to efficiency. But it, we pay a huge amount of money to IT contractors, such as myself, <laughs> to develop things for the government. Why can't it, it, we do that in concert with Bermuda College?
1: It, it seems such a no-brainer. That it's difficult to understand why it hasn't been done, I and mean, there must be reasons why it hasn't been done. I mean, one of them is going kind to of the cost of living. It's not conducive to employing a large number of people here.
0: You're saying it seems like a no-brainer as to why these things haven't been done here. Ever. I mean, technology hasn't just happened. Well, here's what I'll say, Jeremy. I say it's two things. The first thing is we have to remember that we're not talking about forever. We're talking about a time from 2008, 2009. (laughs) So let's make sure that we're discreet in that time scale. We're we're there. In fact, because before, there was not an issue. (laughs) Before the global financial crisis, we weren't screaming out we need more jobs or need That was not something that was the big cry.
1: No, I suppose hindsight is 2020, 20, but there was a lack of foresight, perhaps.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's something that we've be seen. And that's why we have to make sure that our economy is diverse enough in the future to withstand those type of shocks.
1: Just going on to the America's Cup, you say it's too mm-hmm. early to say it's going to be, have a transformational effect. Correct. Um, Isn't that the problem? Isn't it just too early to say, shouldn't there be more support and backing for it?
0: There's not an issue whether or not there's support or backing for the America's Cup. It's government policy. It's something that if the government can demonstrate its return, then it's fine. But when it's based upon the entire, it comes a question of priorities, Jeremy. When you say that you can spend money at an airport without a tender, and devote $13 million of spending towards that when you're saying there's no spending in the economy in addition to the current spending that's going on. When you say that we're going to, you know, build this wonderful site in Dockyard that's going to end up costing the government upwards at the minimum $55 million, most well, close to the $60, dollars yeah,
1: million. That.
0: Understood. Borrow money. Quango. Doesn't matter. The fact of the matter With is o-
1: government.
0: overall effect. Government's guaranteeing it. So it's still a contingent liability upon government we've got it's, to pay it, back I got you it's, but it's a government guarantee but that, but It's the whole entire circle. If you look at the, gen- the auditor general, the auditor general wants all of our books to be in one so it can present a full picture of the government. Nonetheless, it's a question of priorities. And so I find it difficult that the government can say that this is the right thing that's going to yield and provide the right investment to the country at the same point in time when we're looking at shutting down schools, almost all of which, the primary schools, are older than the airport itself. <laughs> Our old airport, of which we have. So when I say it, it's a question of priorities, the America's Cup is an incredible spend of money, and it is undeniable that the America's Cup is not. It's not the Super Bowl. It's we, it's been sold as it's been sold as this great grand, you know, sporting event. Yes, it's a big sporting event in the world of sailing, but when we look at the television ratings that have been sold the world's going to be watching, it's negligible. It's a niche, it's a niche I, I, event.
1: I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I, w- I would be amazed if the television viewing figures were not significantly 10, 20-fold higher than the Louis Vuitton series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm assuming that's one of the reasons why it's here, because it's going to capture the European... TV market as well.
0: Th- that that could be said. That's possible, Jeremy. And I'm not saying yes or no.
1: Because when he well, got when he got BAR rates, there'll be massive British interest
0: in it as well. What the Swiss? You, you, that that's what you, you can say, that Jeremy. And I'm not going. Well, I'm, say, here, I'm not going. To, I'm not going to say yes or no. What I'm going to say is that what we have seen thus far, whether it's terrible that's that that's your view what i'm saying what we have seen thus far does not seem to translate to a huge amount of i guess you could say popular attention to this endeavor which we spent we hope that the amount of money that is spent and invested by the government generates a return to the country that if, is you, the
1: hope. if you if, if you've been in power and the and the uh, opportunity of hosting the america's cup had come, would, would you have gone for it
0: Um, if, if, If it made financial sense, if the investment was able to generate the return, I don't think that it's a problem. And one of the things you saw me focus on heavily in our 2015 reply was productive investments. If at the end of the day it makes the country more money, then it's a good thing to do. I cannot make that determination from the America's Cup because... We don't, we don't know what the figures are. We don't know what the back-end figures of which they used to use, when, which they used to price as to whether or not this was something that was going to be an overall benefit. We heard these economic impact figures which were thrown out, but the thing is that some of them are, I don't want to say the word dubious, but a perfect example is when, we, when in Parliament, when the economic impact figures were brought, the figures that the minister presented for economic impact were different from the official figures from the Department of Tourism.
1: Nonetheless, it's going to put Bermuda on the map around the world.
0: That's your I mean, there'll,
1: be, there'll be a couple of hundred journalists here. There'll be TV I, crews I'm, here. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, uh, Jeremy, I'm not disagreeing with that. However, how many people are opening their magazines or their, or their, or their Guardian and reading sailing news? Near the time, sure <laughs> you have to understand. So I'm saying I'm not looking at it. For, I'm not diminishing the impact of the event. The America's Cup is a long time historical event. It is something that is it is it is it is famous. But it is not the Super Bowl. It's not the World Cup. It's not you know like uh, WTA tennis. It's not something. It's not something that has that mass popular appeal. It's sailing. It's a niche sport. We are. Very well positioned to capitalize on that. It would be good to see more sailing events coming to Bermuda. It would be good if that 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 um, that base that they're building up there um, in, in in Dockyard can be used for other things that are conducive well, afterwards. Right yes. And so and so the thing is that. As you said, it's too early to tell. However, the caution must be stated that this is a niche event. This is a niche event for billionaires. That's what we're doing. We're spending $77 billion to throw a one-month party for billionaires. Well, a
1: lot of it's going to come back, isn't it, in terms of sponsorship? The, the money you quoted is a top-end figure. More mm-hmm. likely,
0: than a lot of money will come back in sponsorship. And that can be said, but that didn't happen in 2013. Or fourteen with um, with with San Francisco, the money that they said they were going to get back, they didn't. They didn't. So we're on the hook for it right now. I mean, those are the facts. I mean, th- that's it. So, yes, it is too early to tell, but the fact of the matter is we've committed that money. That money is a contingent liability upon us. That money prevents us from making investments in other places, whether it be in green energy, whether it be in education, whether it be in training, whether it be retooling. All those constraints put an overall constraint on the economy, and it's a question of priorities and the budget priorities are where we fall.
1: Okay Mr. Burt, thank you very much for that.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Burn News Current Affairs podcast with Jeremy Deacon. Listen at your leisure on www.burnnews.com. Your 24/7 Bermuda news source.